I've been a follower of Jesus for over four decades, and I know if you're a guest here at Northridge, you're having a hard time believing I'm more than 30 years old, but uh, <clears throat> I am. Something in the genes, I think. I, I've been a pastor for over three decades. In, in fact, uh, this weekend is the 27th anniversary of Roxanne and myself coming into this church ministry. As blows my mind, 27 years, and it's one of the great privileges of our lives. But I, I, I have to tell you, over the course of my four decades plus of following Jesus and three decades of serving as a pastor, I, I've had a lot of heartbreaking discoveries. I mean, it just hasn't been all that I thought it would have been. You know, the dream of what it would mean to follow Jesus and what I would be like and what my life would be like, it just, uh, it's not all been there. And the same thing with ministry. I, what I thought it would be and what it's been have been very different things, some of which has been heartbreaking. One of the heartbreaking discoveries over the years has been that there are a ton of people who claim to have faith in Jesus, whose lives are seemingly no different whatsoever from those who claim to have no faith in Jesus. That, that doesn't measure up to my dream. Doesn't measure up to what I wanted, to have a bunch of people claiming Jesus, but, but their lives no different than those who don't. And I have to be totally honest, I try to be as much as I can. This, this heartbreaking discovery hasn't just been about other people. It's been about me. I mean, I wrestle with the same thing. The reality is that there are times when what I claim to believe as a Christ follower is nowhere evident in my life my choices. There are times when what I, with passion and sincerity, teach as truth from this platform is nowhere evident and clearly visible in the priorities I set and the attitudes I display and the demeanor I represent. I mean, it's like, it's just sad. Can you relate to this kind of disappointment in the world and yourself? I ask you that question because I, I want to make sure that I'm not speaking to a whole auditorium of angels unaware. Um, <laughs> it would be scary if I was the only human being in the place, right? But if you're a human, you can, I think you've experienced the same thing. Here's what I've discovered. This, this happens to us. This, this idea that we don't live up to what we claim. We, we claim to follow Jesus and know Jesus, but we don't demonstrate it in our life. It, it, it happens when what we believe hasn't moved from our heads 
to our hearts. It's the great tragedy of what happens to so many of us. It's, we're in this series called World War Me, and you just need to know uh, one of the big battles of World War Me is the battle to move our beliefs from our head, where they change nothing, into our hearts, where they change everything. And it's a battle, it's a war. Because if we're ever going to experience the fullness of, of the promise of Jesus in our lives, if we're ever going to experience him making a difference in us and us making a difference in the world, our, our beliefs have to make that move from head to heart. Before I get too depressingly spiritual here, I thought I would kind of give you a little bit more of a trivial example of the importance of this idea. And I don't know why, it's kind of bizarre if you think about it, but my, the, the, the example that came to mind for me was seatbelts. Uh, I don't know, seatbelts. And I have to be really honest with you, um, there was a time in the past when I didn't wear seatbelts. If you're a law officer, I do now. No following me around, but there was a time in my past I didn't. In fact, to be honest with you, I'm old enough to have been a part of the world before anyone really wore seatbelts. I grew up in a family where, where my parents let us as kids like sit on the dashboard of the car climb around in the back window area and like they're going 70 miles down the highway and there we are, it's like, do you care? You know, it's like, grew up in that family. But since those days, you know, we've kind of come up with the idea it'd be good to strap human beings in, you know, even our kids. And so, but even after it became like one of these mandatory things, these law things, I mean, I have to be honest, I, I didn't really always buckle up. And I, I think the reason is pretty simple. I mean, I believed that seatbelts could save lives, but in my heart, I didn't believe always that my life needed saving. For example, I, I, I think it's the invincibility of youth or something, but I, I mean, I, whenever I got in the car, I didn't think that I was in danger of an accident, you know? I'm just going down 7-Eleven for a Slurpee. What's the big deal, right? I mean, it's like, so in my head I knew they could save lives, but in my heart I didn't think I needed it. It wasn't until I genuinely came to the place where I, in my heart, believed that at any time I'm in the car driving, I could be in an accident and I could be at the risk of injury that I started consistently buckling up. You know, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, that kind of thing. And I think when it really happened was when I became a parent. I started realizing I have these precious lives in my car that I so deeply care about, I should maybe strap them in. Which made me question the love my parents had always said they had for their kids. I, it's part of the dysfunction I need counseling to overcome, I think. But you, I mean, when I had kids, it's like, buckle them in, keep them safe. Because when the belief moved from my head, from an academic understanding of the safety of seatbelts to, to my heart where I knew I personally needed them and my family needed them, that's when it changed my behavior. And I'm telling you, now listen, this is so important. 
This is profoundly true in our spiritual lives as well. Too many of us are living our spiritual lives as an academic exercise of belief that does not change our life, our choices, because it has yet to move into our heart where we need it, we're personally desperate for it, our life depends on it. And this is the truth that I want you to see as we continue through the series of Psalms because this is a truth that absolutely explodes out of the book of Psalms. Genuine faith is an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. You can't read the Psalms without getting this. I mean, the passion in the Psalms is there because their faith and their belief and their, their desire for God wasn't an academic exercise. It was in their heart. And I mean, they, they go down the roller coaster of hate to love and disappointment and joy. And it's because their, their relationship with God is like something important to their heart. And it explodes out. And we need to understand that faith is an issue of the heart. One of the places that explodes out of the Psalms for me is in a, in a Psalm that many people see as more of an intellectual statement instead of a heart statement, but they're so long, it's Psalm 14, verse 1. Psalm 14, verse 1 says, the fool has said in their heart, there is no God. Now, I don't know if you notice it. It's, it doesn't say the fool has said in their head there's no God. It doesn't say the fool has said with words there's no God. It says the fool has said in their heart there is no God. And I'll be honest with you, I came to this, I knew this was an important psalm. I knew this was important for me, and I've been wrestling with it, important for you, for me to have a conversation with you about, but I didn't know what to say about it. The fool has said in their heart is no God. In fact, there was one moment in time when I was writing this talk that I thought, all I need to do is walk out, play the video bumper, read that verse. The fool has said in their heart, is no, said in their heart there is no God, and then just drop the mic and walk off. I thought that would do it. I mean, that's really a powerful verse, right? The only problem with that is you would go away thinking that was for those people out there. You know, those people out there, the fools who in their heart are saying there's no God. You know, the fools out there, the crazy people that are messing this world up in Charlottesville and messing this world up in Las Vegas and creating such tragedy for the rest of us. You know, those fools out there. But that's not who this is written to or about. It's written to us and about us. The fool says in his heart, there's no God. You just need to know, and I just don't know how to better communicate it to you than just saying it. Faith is an issue of the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says the same thing. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. The reality that I want you to see this weekend is that our belief 
becomes faith when it moves from our head to our heart. That's when it becomes faith. That's when we start actually trusting. Our beliefs become faith when it moves from our head to our heart, from our words to our actions. That's when beliefs become faith. When we actually express by the activities of our lives, by the expression of our choices, our, our beliefs, that's proof that we're not just claiming a belief, we're not just stating a belief, but we're actually trusting our lives to that belief. We're buckling the seatbelt. James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 says the exact same thing Psalm 14 says, only in different words. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. Stop telling me you have faith when it's only in your head. Until it's in your heart and the expressed foundation of your choices and activities, you don't really have faith. In other words, you can't truly trust Jesus Christ and live the same kind of life. You can't do it. And this explains how we can know so much about the Bible and still look so little like Jesus. Because it's in our head, but not in our heart. It's in our head, but it's not who we are. Now, you need to know, especially if you're newer here, I, I come what I do here giving talks because it's more like a conversation with you than it is giving you a speech, you know, and, and you need to know how this kind of thing evolves. It's, it begins with my own personal conversation with God where I'm starting to engage him in these ways and it's challenging me and wrestling with me and I'm enough of a sadist to where if I'm going to be miserable, I have to share it with you. It's just kind of, <laughs> no, that's not really it. It's, I have these conversations with God and then it becomes a conversation with me, you know, like internal wrestling match. And then when I start to see it in a way that I can communicate it, I share it with you. And one of the ways that I have these conversations is by developing questions. Questions are really important for me to dig into my soul and to search things out and try and arrive at some solutions. And, and here's the question I ask myself in this regard. Do I look and live like Jesus to the same extent of what I know about Jesus? What, what I'm really saying is, do I know more about Jesus than I actually live? And I have to be honest with you, yes, I do. I know so much more about Jesus than I actually live. I so, know so much more about his truth than I actually live. Can you relate to that? It's because, you see, our faith is trapped in our head and we haven't yet won the war to get it into our heart. Because faith is an issue of the heart, ultimately. And so what I have to do is I have to title these things so that I can kind of 
you know, have names to hang on them and I can kind of figure them out and have them in their place. And, and so I've, I've described this particular problem with a name, probably a name you haven't heard, but it, 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 I think it really describes it well. And the problem described for me is named practical atheism. Practical atheism. Now, now, you've heard of proclaimed atheism, right? In fact, there's a huge surge of proclaimed atheism in our world, a bunch of contemporary books on people who are proclaimed atheists. And what a proclaimed atheist does is they proclaim, they vocalize the idea that they don't believe there's a God. That's just how they are. They, they're proclaiming it. They're saying it. The practical atheist is different. They don't necessarily vocalize it. But the practical atheist lives as if there's no God. Whatever they say, whatever they claim, they live as if there's no God. In, in fact, the practical atheist can proclaim a belief in God, but live as if there's no God. Make choices as if there's no God. Act as if there's no God. Feel as if there's no God. Do you know what I'm saying? And what's interesting to me about this concept is that the proclaim atheist, the one who vocalizes they don't believe in God, can actually live as if they do believe in God. For example, put an atheist on a plane that's going down. Very often, they do what? Pray. Yeah, so, I don't believe in God. God help! You know, that kind of thing. The practical atheist can vocalize a huge belief in God, a huge belief in his truth, a huge commitment to him, but live as if he's not real. And you need to know, this is a huge problem. This is a problem that all of us wrestle with. The idea of proclaiming a belief in God without actually living as if he's real. It's so important to understand that God put it in the Bible. Look at Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. Look at this sentence. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They, they, they proclaim to know His hope, but by their actions they live in hopelessness, in despair. They claim to know his joy, but they live in sorrow and sadness. They claim to know his peace, but they live in constant conflict. They claim to know his grace, but they live in constant agony over their guilt. They, they claim to live in his forgiveness, but they don't know how to offer forgiveness. They claim to know God, but they live as if there's no God in their actions. They're practical atheists. And then the verse goes on and it says that they literally become detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. These are people who proclaim to be God followers, proclaim to be Christ followers, proclaim to be Christians, and they're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good because they live as if there's no God in spite of their words. You see, what they claim to believe doesn't match what's in their heart. Faith is an issue of the heart. 
And in spite of their claims, they aren't trusting God in their hearts. How about you? You see, this is where it starts, whoa. This then comes down to two different kinds of lives that we can live, to be honest. There are only two kinds of life we can live, really. Life of wisdom, right? We can be wise. Or, or the life of foolishness, we can be fools. And I, I mean, I've been alive long enough to know that I've never once woken up in the morning and said, today I want to be a fool. I mean, that's just never been me. I've, I've been enough with people. I've never met the person who says, look at fool is the highest goal I have for myself. You know, that's, I've never met that person. So we, we have the, the life of wisdom or the life of a fool. But you need to know, and this is where Psalm 14 really starts powering up on us. It all boils down to whether we're believing in our heart or not. Because the, the fool, this is really important, and this is sadly what more often than I care to even admit is me, the fool lives life as if there's no God. No matter, no matter what they claim, no matter what verses they have posted on their mirror, no matter what radio stations they listen to, no matter what they look like, no matter what church they go to, the fool is the person who lives life as if there's no God. Psalm 14.1, remember, the fool has said in their heart, not their head, not their words, but in their heart that there is no God. What's your heart saying these days? And you know what the result is, Psalm 14 tells us. You know what the result of living, not claiming, but living as if there's no God, the result is always the same thing, bad behavior. That's why the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Because if you're living as if there's no God, I don't care how brilliant you are, I don't care how unbelievably successful you are, if you're living life without trusting God in your heart, you're a fool. Same is true of me. When we live life as if there's no God, it's bad behavior. This is why Psalm 14, most people don't even know the rest of Psalm 14. They, they get stuck with the dropped mic. They're, you know, the fool said, there's, there's no God. And you start thinking about all those fools out there as if we're not one of them. Right? And then it goes on and it tells the fool has said in their heart, there is no God. Look at it. It says, Verse 1 continues, they're corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There's no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now that should stamp down any one of us sitting here or listening to this, wherever you might be, and thinking, Man, I'm so glad he's talking about this for these fools. <laughs> because we are them. This is us. God's looked out and he says, you've all lived as if I didn't exist. Oh, I hear your songs and I hear your music and I know where you're at right now. You know, you're at Northridge Church. I just wish you'd believe me in your heart. And he goes, corrupt, it results in bad behavior. So no matter, think about this, no matter what excuse I give 
for my bad behavior, it boils down to being the simple result of the fact that in spite of what I claim and in spite of what I teach, I am at that moment not believing he's there in my heart. So I make choices that I feel will make my life better even though they're against what he has said. I'm the fool. I have bad behavior because Jesus at that moment isn't the primary focus in my heart and I need to tell you the same is true for you. This explains it all. And just so you know, Jesus teaches this and I've already said and I'll say it again in this series, the Psalms were the music of Jesus when he was on this planet. And look what he says in Matthew 15 verses 18 through 20, but the things that come out of a person's mouth ultimately come from the heart and these are what defile them. What? The things that are in the heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. And you say, well, what if a person's saying good things but it's not in their heart? What's in their heart is deception. What's in their heart is creating an image of themselves that's better than what it is. What's in their heart is evil and darkness and so they lie with their mouth, their heart knows full well. You see, faith is an issue of the heart. And there are times when I stand like this, worshiping God in front of people more because I want people to think I'm worshiping God than I'm really worshiping God. Does that happen with you? Pretending to know God's fullness when we know only emptiness only creates even more emptiness. It's sad. Because faith is an issue of the heart. Jesus was talking to religious people in that time and he was saying, you have a bunch of right beliefs, but it hasn't moved from your head to your hearts. How could people with so many right beliefs about God be a part of nailing Jesus to the cross because their beliefs were in their head, but not in their heart? And the same junk goes on today, doesn't it? It explains me, you, and everything else we see. All corruption from religious people and irreligious people comes from living as if there is no God, irregardless of what we claim. The truth is, we've all played the fool. Practical atheism is a problem for all of us. We all at moments or in areas of our life live as if God is absent, and when we do, we make bad choices. We live badly because it always results in the same thing, bad behavior. And whether we claim to believe in Jesus or not, this will be true of us when we live as if he's not real. God says where, if you think about this, God says where I am, there's hope. And yet so often we live hopeless in the wake of tragedies in this world. God says where I am, there is joy and so often we have no joy whatsoever in our lives because of the sadness that we see and experience. God says, where I am there is peace and yet so often all we know is anxiety and conflict and God says, I am love and yet so often all we know is the expressions of hatred and the sense of hatred in our world and See, we believe that God is these things, but we'll never experience these things until our belief moves from our head to our heart. We live so immersed in this temporary world 
so defined by what we see in this temporary messed up world that we live as if there's no God in spite of what we claim to be. We live as fools. It defines all of us in the end because we've all been this. Look at Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is Psalm 14. The fool has said in their heart there is no God. They've become corrupt, detestable. God looks out over all mankind and he sees the same thing. That's all this is saying. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all played the fool. This is not that person's problem and this person's problem. This is our problem. And until we understand it, we will never experience change. Do you see it? But there's also the life of the wise, which God says that we actually can experience. Where though we've played the life of the fool, we can experience life as the wise. But to experience a life of wisdom, we have to live in full view of and in full reverence of God. I mean, it's like the fool says in their heart, there's no God in spite of what they say with their words. But the wise person lives their heart fully acknowledging God's presence and fully acknowledging that God is the one who deserves worship and reverence and respect and obedience. It's called the fear of the Lord. You know, where we just see him so clearly that we reverence him because he's God. You can find this all through the Bible, but since we're in a series on Psalms, let me pull it out of Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where does wisdom begin? When we start living in full view of and reverence for the Lord, when it moves to our heart. And all who follow his precepts, you know, those who really live for him, who trust what he says in their hearts, they have good understanding. They know to him belongs eternal praise. The wise live a life in full view of the Lord, in full reverence of him. And you know what the result is? It's the opposite of the fool. The result of the fool is bad behavior, right? What's the result of wisdom? Good behavior. (laughs) Do you know my best choices in life come when I, in my heart, embrace the concept that this loving and gracious God is right there, loving me and watching me and there to help me, and I go, yes. Good behavior is the result. It's the evidence of a heart-based faith. It's one thing to claim belief in God. It's another to genuinely believe in and trust Him with our hearts. Do you realize I will never be disappointed or ashamed of any choice I make in full heart trust of Jesus and His truth? I will only find shame and regret in decisions I make when I live as if there's no God. And the same is true for you. And once again, Jesus, kind of teaching out of the Psalms, says the same thing. Look at Matthew 7, starting with verse 20. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. He says, when, when someone has truly trusted me with their heart, their life will be so transformed that you'll recognize it by the fruit of their life. But then he explains why we don't always see it in each other. He says, not everyone, though, who says with their words to me, Lord, Lord, is really one of mine will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven, remember, the one who trusts me with their heart will start expressing it from their heart. They're going to live it. 
Then he says, many are going to say to me, I mean, words are going to be abundant. Many will say to me on that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, look at all the great stuff we did for you. Did we not prophesy in your name, in your name, drive out demons, in your name, perform many miracles? Didn't we vote Republican? Come on, you know. <laughs> Didn't we vote Democrat? Come on, you know. We got rid of all those other bad people. Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Who, who was he talking to? He was talking to the people who claimed with their words God, but denied him in the way they lived. And I don't know about you, but I am tired of people claiming Christ and being no different. I'm tired of it, aren't you? But, but let's be honest. Sometimes I'm that person. We try and do all kinds of things. We change religions, we change churches, we change our terminology, we change all this stuff. But until we change our hearts, until we put our hearts' faith in Jesus and let him transform our hearts and give us a new heart, nothing changes. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be one of the people who pretend. I don't want to pretend that I have hope. I don't want to pretend I have joy. I don't want to pretend I have love. I want hope and I want joy and I want love, which means I have to stop believing he's that in my head and I need to start embracing him as that in my heart. And that's when everything changes. Faith is an issue of the heart. We need to let God into our hearts. So let me ask you, where's your faith? Is it in your head or your heart? The Bible gives us example after example of this. I'll just use two. Because once again, I need pictures to kind of really get there. And There's this one guy in the Bible, his name was Demas. D-E-M-A-S. I don't know if you've noticed this, but you've probably never met a Demas. Ever. Have you ever met Demas? Hi, my name's Demas. What, were your parents the devil? I mean, really? <laughs> Demas. One of the bad guys in the Bible. But it didn't look like he was one of the bad guys in the Bible. Truth is, it looked like he was one of the good. In fact, he was such a great guy in appearance in the Bible that Paul, the Saint Paul, you know, the apostle, invested his life in him and trained him and sent him out to work in churches and he stood on platforms and taught people. He was, he was considered a man of God, a man of faith. But in the end, he evidenced himself. Look at first, Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. You see, with all of his words of faith and with all of his expressions of faith, where was his heart? It loved the world, it loved the attention, it loved the pleasure, and it led to bad behavior. Don't ever be shocked when someone who seems to be so great takes such a big fall. Because greatness is easy to pretend. But the truth is, none of us can be great. Jesus is great, and the only true greatness in the world is the greatness lived by Jesus in our hearts, through our hearts, as we trust him in our hearts. Demas blew it. Paul was very different. 
Look at Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, what was in his heart, I, it did, didn't matter what you did to him. You know what came out of him? Jesus. You know why? Because what he loved was Jesus. Didn't matter if things were going great or poorly. Didn't matter if he was in prison or free. Didn't matter if he was being celebrated or being trashed. Jesus came out of him because Jesus is what he loved in his heart. Can I ask you, what do you love in your heart? Are, are you more like Demas or Paul? Until we experience and trust Jesus in our heart, we will never experience the fullness of his promise in our lives, never. When we genuinely recognize God's reality and our desperate and personal need for him, that's when we'll begin finding him. Remember when I started buckling the seatbelt? It's when I really knew I needed it. Same here. I'll start experiencing him and his fullness and his promise in my life when I literally start trusting him in my heart. And here I just need to say something really important and I hope that you'll, you'll listen and embrace this. I don't think you know how grateful I am that you're here. I mean... For 27 years, I've been investing in this ministry with my wife and those that I love around here. And I'm going to tell you, I am so grateful that you're here. I believe in this place. I believe in what God is doing in this place. I'm thankful that you're here. I hope that every week you'll invite 150 new people to this place and that we'll keep reaching people. I'm thankful that you're here. But I want you to know that more than anything, I want you to experience not Northridge, but the fullness of Jesus in your life. The reality is that just being here ultimately doesn't matter unless being here genuinely, genuinely compels you to want to trust Jesus with all of your heart. I'm haunted by the words of a very good friend of mine who once looked at me and says, you know what, the thousands of people who come to Northridge, Brad, I believe there are way more people that have accepted you into their heart than have accepted Jesus into their heart. And I'm haunted by that. Now don't, don't get me wrong, I really like it when people like me. I really want people to believe in me and trust in me. I want to live that kind of a life. But let me just tell you, you believing in me and you liking me and you trusting me will change nothing in your life. Only Jesus will change your life. Only Jesus. And so here's the application I want to I wanna throw down this weekend. In order to genuinely experience and live for God, we need to begin trusting Him with all of our heart. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead then you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, made right with God. And then it's with your mouth that you simply tell people about it. We have too many people who are confessing Jesus as Lord, but they have never made him Lord of their heart. And this is why so many people make the claim, but they don't live the life. 
Which defines you, Demas or Paul? Belief in your head or faith in your heart? When we genuinely believe and trust in God with our heart, our lives, our choices, our actions genuinely begin changing. And I'll give you this one illustration and then bring it in for a prayer and send you on your way. There are so many of the Psalms that I'd like to share. There's no way I'll be able to share them all in this series. One of the Psalms that just really speaks to me is Psalm 139. And in Psalm 139, part of it, it's, it's like the psalmist wants to escape from God. You know, it's like, where can I get away from you, God? You know, how can I, where can I get away from your presence? And he says, I can't go into the heavens and get away from your presence. I can't go into the grave and get away from your presence. I can't go east. I can't go anywhere and get away from your presence. And, you know, there are many of us who claim to believe this truth, that Jesus is everywhere present. We believe that Jesus is everywhere present. And yet many of us who claim to believe this truth don't live like it's true. I'll prove it to you. Those who are really trusting in Jesus really understand that he's everywhere present and their lives are different. But there are many of us, and I throw myself into this as well, who change our behavior when other people are watching us, but live corrupt lives inside or out, even though we say we believe God is everywhere present. This happens with me, I'm a pastor, okay? And it's like, when I walk into a room, everything changes, even here, I mean, it's weird. It's like, people change their behavior for me. Like, some of you, you come here, and you, you change your behavior when you come to Northridge from what you do on Monday through Friday, but can I just tell you something? Jesus is everywhere present. And if you change your behavior because a pastor's in the room or because you're in a church, then what you're saying is, I believe more or care more about you and what you think than I do about Jesus and what he thinks. This is why we live different lives when we're here at Northridge than we do Monday through Friday in the marketplace. This is why. It's because in our head we believe he's everywhere present, but we haven't embraced in our heart. And thus we're pretending to know his hope and pretending to know his joy and pretending to experience his love, but we're just as empty as those who don't know Jesus because faith is an issue of the heart and it's time we start trusting him with our heart because this is when the pretending stops and this is when the living begins. It's not enough for us to believe in God, to believe in Jesus. Satan believes in God and believes in Jesus. It's not enough for us to believe that he came into this world at Christmas. The demons believe that. It's not enough to believe that there was a Good Friday where he died and there was an Easter where he rose. It's not enough to believe those things. We have to trust 
that if he did not come as that baby on Christmas, and if he did not die on that cross for our sin, and if he did not raise on that first Easter Sunday, then we would be hopeless, and we need to trust his Christmas and his Easter realities, and it will transform our lives, and then we'll want more than Christmas and Easter, and we'll want Jesus Monday through Sunday of every single week of our lives. It will change everything. Religion only needs you on a couple of holidays, but if you truly need Jesus, then you need him every moment you're alive. We have to trust him with our heart, do you? So here's how I'm gonna end the talk, and some of you were wondering if I ever would. I'm going to end the talk by giving you an action step that I'm hoping will change you. And the action step is simple. Test yourself. Test yourself. Before I started testing myself, I could read that verse, there is, the fool has said in their heart, there is no God. Oh, and I could just, look at those fools out there, they don't believe in God, you know? And then I started testing myself and I started realizing in so many areas of my life, I was the fool. God tells us this, look at 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself, test your heart, test your actions. Put it up to the test. Am I the fool or am I the wise one? Just before we end the service, I'm going to pray. And just before we pray, I'm going to ask, it might be more helpful if you would just honor this moment and bow and get ready for prayer. And as we do that in all of our different venues and wherever you're watching around the world, I want you to test yourself in this moment I ask yourself, am I truly experiencing authentic faith? Am I trusting Jesus in my heart? Am I evidencing authentic faith? Am I, am I living out the difference that Jesus makes in my life? Am I expressing authentic faith? Is, are the words that I speak the reality of my life or are they make-believe? And here's what I want you to know. We've all played the fool. All of us leave God out of areas of our life. But here's the good news. When we bring it to the surface and acknowledge it, God can take it away. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And I'm urging you right now, whoever you may be, to confess the areas where you've been living as if there's no God and let him reveal himself to you there. And for those of you who may have never trusted Jesus yet, I want to encourage you to take that first step. Move beyond your head stuff and give your heart to him. Just pray with me. Use my words, but make them the expression of your heart just quietly, just to him say, Jesus, I've lived as if you're not real. And I've blown it time and time again. I know I've sinned against you. I'm guilty. But in this moment, 
I'm trusting with my heart your death on the cross to forgive me. And I'm trusting with my heart that you rose from the dead so I can have new life. And with my heart, I'm asking you to change me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before you move, just before you move, and I mean seriously, I'm just about ready to let you go. If you prayed with me, please let me know. We've put together information about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. We want to give you a Bible, but we have to know if you're in one of our services, it's easy. You fill out the connection card, check the thing that says you prayed with me and put it in the box as you leave and we'll send you that information. And if you're watching online, you hit the what next button, we'll do the same thing for you and look at, I know that God's working on a lot of hearts, which is why we have a prayer team that meets up front in all of our campuses. And if God's working on your heart, you'd like to talk to someone or pray with someone, would you, when everyone else is leaving, come forward, they'll wait for you, and they'd love to spend time with you on that. But here's how I want to end. I want you to remember, the fool has said in their heart, there is no God, and we've all played the fool. But let's choose together today to be the wise, to live knowing that God is real in our heart and influencing all of our choices and all our behavior because it's then that we'll experience exactly what he promises, life and life to the full. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next time. <laughs>